We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. I want to welcome you to We Saved You a Seat podcast. Today, I have the incredible privilege of introducing you to one of Oklahoma Family Network's newest staff members and sharing her special health care journey. Today, you will hear a real and honest conversation tied to having a child diagnosed with Down syndrome. Jamise and I spent March 21st together talking about World Down Syndrome Awareness Day, and today you get to hear our conversation, One Mom's Experience and Perspective. I know you will walk away with a heart full after hearing Jamise as she shares about her family and specifically her daughter, Sayla. I know that today is Down Syndrome Awareness Day, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, I'm hoping that you can maybe enlighten us a little bit about what Down Syndrome is. I'm hoping that you might be able to tell our listeners uh, a little bit about your experience. And uh, I, from what I understand, you have a daughter with Down syndrome. And so I'm, I guess I'm just kind of hoping that you'll maybe uh, educate the, the public and, you know, what this day is all about for you guys and what it means to you. I know. I'm still like, I feel like I'm still in the, the newness of it. Like, you know, we're figuring it all out. What is Down syndrome? What is going on? Um, I am uh, Jimmy Suranga, and yesterday on March 21st is World Down Syndrome Day, where we just kind of recognize and support and try to talk about Down syndrome. And they, I heard, I'm new to this, so uh, I heard that they did that because of the third copy of the 21st uh, chromosome. And so that's why it's 321. And that's why they they celebrate it on this day. A little bit about myself, I guess, and my family. I am from, not really from Oklahoma, but I am a military kid and uh, have been in Oklahoma long enough to to claim that this is where I'm from. My husband is um, Thomas and he's from Kenya. And we have three children. Our oldest is Zion. He is 13. And then there's Ezra, and he's 10. And then Sayla, who is five. She's about to be six next month. Um, and Sayla, the little baby girl, is um, was our surprise baby and the one that has Down syndrome. So she kind of introduced us into this new world. One of the questions I always have for families is, did you know she had Down syndrome before she was born? Or did you have that knowledge before she was born? Or was it after? Maybe walk us through a little bit of that experience and then learning about the Down syndrome diagnosis. So the answer is no, we did not know for sure. Um, We did go in for around 20, I guess, two weeks or 23 weeks, whenever you usually do like the gender um, check. And we went in and I did notice that when they were doing kind of all of the exams of Sayla, that they, she kind of stopped a little bit around the heart and she kept looking and taking all these pictures, but not really saying anything. And so you know, I asked her, I was like, oh, is everything okay? And she was like, oh, if there's anything concerning, like your doctor will talk to you about it. Like, which obviously to me is like, um, yeah, something's wrong. Because if not, you would think maybe like, yeah, everything's fine. So she takes a lot of pictures of her heart, takes some of her um, stomach, tells me it's a girl, and then um, sends us on our way. So about a week later, I get a phone call from my doctor's nurse and she said, hey, we need to get a clearer picture of her heart. And she's like, sometimes this happens. Like, we just don't get the best pictures. Um, it's We're not really concerned, but we think you should just go and see a specialist because they, they can go deeper and do 3D um, ultrasounds and stuff like that. So they set an appointment up, but it wasn't for like three more weeks. So, you know, I'm just like, what in the world's going on? I guess it's not that big of a deal or they would like rush me in there. And so 
I show up to that appointment and the nurse signed me in and then she said, okay, so we're just here to take a picture um, and check on that bright spot on her heart and the fluid in her kidneys. And I was like, what? Because that's not what I was told. She said they need another picture. She didn't say like, we saw something like a bright spot. Like she didn't use specific words. So like that freaked me out. And I was like, well, I have no idea. They just said you needed a better picture of her heart. And she was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, that's what the notes say here. And so I go and sit in the lobby. And of course, what do you do? You start Googling. I'm like, what is a bright spot? What would be, you know, and there's things that are like, I saw people's comments that said, oh, my kid had that. And it was just calcium deposits. It was nothing big. It was gone within, you know, the next ultrasound. And then I saw something that mentioned like it could be a trait or something for Down syndrome. And I was like, what? Because I don't, I didn't know anybody with Down syndrome. That's not in my family. I was like, I am under 35. You know, like I was the checklist person. So I'm like, surely it's just like a freak thing. Um, so we go back there and they do the ultrasound and then the doctor comes in and reads it. And he was like, oh, everything looks great. I guess the bright spot's gone. He was like, I think there was, um, I guess there was some before I can see here. And he was like, that happens sometimes with um, technology because we can pick up things that we couldn't pick up like previously. He said her kidneys still have a little bit of fluid in it, but it's like so small and that usually goes away as soon as they're born. Um, he said she measured well, everything was fine. Um, and then he said, the only, like if she were to have spina bifida, this would happen. I was like, what? Because I was like, what kind of doctor is this? And he was like, if she were to have Down syndrome, they usually have like um, thicker, like the neck folds or something has a lot of fluid in there. Their facial features aren't, um, they measure a little bit off or not in alignment. He said all her stuff is fine. Um, and he said, but the only way to figure out if she like has anything 100% is to do a blood test. Um, but he's like, are you going, like, if she were to have Down syndrome, would you have an abortion? And I was like, no. And he said, I wouldn't waste my time. She's healthy. My, my job as a doctor is to tell you if there's something concerning and there's nothing wrong with her, like made up wise, her heart's perfect. Her kidneys are perfect. He's like, she'll run around, chase her brothers. Like, I'm not concerned. So Fast forward to like when she was born. Um, I remember they first got, like I had a C-section, but when they first showed her to me, I was like, oh, she looks just like Ezra, like identical face, everything. So I like took a deep breath and I was like, thank goodness, I guess she didn't have Down syndrome. And then they were holding her up to like measure her, get ready to measure her. And I looked and the back of her neck was huge. like. It was so big. And then my brain went to remembering that he had said something about the neck folds being larger and having fluid. And I was like, what? And so I was looking at Thomas and I was like, hey, is she okay? Does she look okay? Like, do you think she has Down syndrome? He was like, no, she looks just like Ezra. She's fine. Um, and nobody said anything. Like I saw a nurse kind of stop another nurse and their back was towards me, like where I could see. And they said something to each other that I don't know what they said. And then they kind of just said, walked away. Like they didn't, nothing happened, I, but I was in, it was a weird moment. And so I kept looking at her and thinking like, does she, doesn't she? Because her features were really not that, that strong. Um, my doctor was, oddly enough, my OB, wasn't there. So I had another doctor do my surgery. And then my pediatrician wasn't there because it was her off weekend. So the other pediatrician that came in, I asked her, like, is she okay? I couldn't, for some reason, I could not ask if she had Down syndrome. Like I just, I couldn't say the words. So I just kept asking everyone, is she okay? Do you think she's okay? Do you think she looks different? And they're all like, no, she's fine. She got a nine out of 10 on her APSCAR, her heart, like whatever that test is. And her heart was perfect. She had no fluid in her kidneys. Everything was typical. She passed her hearing test. Like there was nothing. And only at certain angles would I start doubting it. So 
um, we went to her weight check at, I think she was five days. Cause she also like nursed too. She latched on and was breastfeeding like in the hospital, which was another reason why they were like, what? Cause I, I apparently um, they have m low muscle tone. So sometimes it's hard for them to latch, but she never had a problem. And she was eight, seven. So she was big. She was 21 inches. Like anyway. Um, so I go to her weight check and my doctor like looks her over and then she sits down in her chair and she like scoots it toward us. And right then I just like started crying. Like I already knew because I had told Thomas like, this is the day. If she doesn't say anything today, then I'm officially crazy. Like, I don't know why I keep thinking she has all these markers. Um, but if she doesn't tell us today, then she didn't have it. And so she said, um, Selah has some features that make me think that she could have Down syndrome. And I was like, uh. And in that moment, like I remember hearing somebody like screaming, like scream. I remember like looking around like, who is screaming? What is going on? Just like this gut-wrenching scream, like a cry and a scream that I did not even recognize. So I knew it was somebody else. But like I turned around and I looked up and I realized like everyone is staring at me. <laughs> And so I was the one who was like, I don't even know, like, where that came from. Like, I've never felt or, like, cried like that or anything. But it was, like, just, like, a soul, like, deep cry that I was, like, letting everything out. And they all just sat there and everybody was staring at me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, why am I screaming? Like, what's going on? And Sayla was just sitting there. and. It's like I knew, it was weird because I already knew she had it. Like from when I saw her, I knew it. But it was like something about it being definite or somebody like actually saying it out loud was very like triggering and, and life-changing. And so then I just go home and I have her and I'm like, what do I do? And I remember asking my doctor, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I don't know what to do with a child that has like, special needs and she was like um you feed her and you love on her and you give her kisses and you change her diaper and you give her a bath and you do everything that you did with Zion and Ezra and that's what you do like you're still her mom there's nothing special or different that you need to do and she was like there will be a, appointments and things that you that we want her to go to because we want to do preventative care but she said, that's my job to worry about what the doctors say. And your job is to just love on her and just, and I was like, oh, like the best doctor in the world. Oh, ugly crying. Like, I was like, I love you so much, Dr. Lynn. Like she, in literally that appointment, she sat with me for an hour and a half. So I know she had other appointments. I know she had other patients that were there, but like, she couldn't leave me like that. Like I was, I didn't, I didn't even know if I could like stand up and walk out of there. And she didn't make me feel like we were taking all her time. She just sat there, you know? And I remember the next appointment that we went to, because <laughs> of course you Google everything and you're looking at everything. What is Down syndrome? How does my baby have Down syndrome? I'm only 32. Like, what did I do? Um, like you're just trying to figure out all the whys and how that happens. And I go to my appointment and she said, so what have you been Googling lately? And I was like, what? Like, I'm like, how did you even know? And she was like, I know that's probably what you've been doing. Everyone does that. And she's like, and I said, all of these things, like they're saying she's going to have heart problems. And she was like, she doesn't. We already went to the cardiologist because we did. We went to the cardiologist and it was perfect. And she's never had, I mean, thank the Lord, never had any problems. Like, I remember the cardiologist even saying, like, she doesn't even have a heart murmur. And, like, that's common for just normal, like, typically developing babies or infants at this time just to have, like, a little pulse. And she didn't. And um, I kept saying, yeah, but they're saying she can't, she's not going to walk and she's not going to do this or she'll be eight or she'll, like, just all the things. And, again, my pediatrician was like, all of those textbooks and all the internet, like they don't know Sayla. Sayla is not any of those things. She will do what she does. 
whether or not they say she can or can't, right? Like, we're not going to do that. She's like, she's nursing. They already said that she couldn't do that. And she's been nursing and she's doubled her weight and she's doing everything she needs to do. She's holding her head up. Like, don't read that stuff. Like, And I said, yeah, but what if something is wrong? And she's like, that's what I'm here for. And she like, just kept reminding me that, like, if you have a question, call me. You don't think about that. And so I kept, that was the battle I think I had for like the first year is like going to all of those doctor's appointments were very overwhelming at the beginning. And each one, like she was like, go to the GI, we want to check and make sure um, everything's okay. And of course you're Googling what could be wrong, what the cardiologist, what could be wrong, what to look for. Um, I just, I, I told Thomas, I was like, I didn't know there were so many ologists in the world like there's a million of them from every little thing like from her eyes like can she see can she hear can she I was just overwhelmed by the amount of doctors because with my boys it was like I only knew a pediatrician like we never went anywhere except for our checkup so this was very overwhelming for me um to do all those things and you know they would give you these reports and they would tell you things. And then I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like, I don't even know what that means. And so after each visit, my doctor would call me. She didn't have to. Again, she was just amazing. And she would be like, I've got the report and everything is great. I think that's all that. Don't try to read all those big words. Don't try to figure all those things out. There's nobody is concerned about her. She's doing what she needs to do. And she would call me like after, because we had to get her blood taken like at, um, three months, six months, nine months, and then a year. So like every three months we went in. I'm not exactly sure. I know there's like, they're testing for thyroid problems, maybe, um, I don't know, blood diseases, all kinds of stuff. They just took a lot of vials of blood. Um, but she would call me like after every time that we went to tell me like it was okay and that what the results were. She did that literally for the first year, um, I think, after all of that. And I will say that doing, during that time, like going to the doctors and so I just, I was so overwhelmed and I think very depressed and scared. And I had my, one of my sweet friends, she was a pediatric nurse and she would come to all of the appointments with me because I just couldn't like holding her and listening to her scream and doing all the blood work it was just so overwhelming for me and so she would get my schedule and then she would pick me up so i didn't have to drive there and she would give me a coffee and then she would go in and hold she'd be like okay i'm gonna stay with her while she gets her blood drawn so i didn't have to i know some people want i think want to be there when their babies are going through that but i just could not like handle it. I don't know. I felt guilty. I don't know what I felt. So she would go in and she would hold her and she would, one time they couldn't get her blood. And so she was like, listen, you got one more time to poke the baby. Then if you don't get it, I'm going to do it. I'm a NICU nurse here. And like, I got this. She would do like, walk with me through all of those things. And which was amazing that, that she even did that for me. But yeah, so the first year of life, I feel like it was only doctor's appointments, seeing all the ologists, a lot of blood work, but then also a lot of like meeting a lot of typical developing things, which was strange for me. Like we'd go in and they'd be like, okay, is she holding her head up? Does she nurse? Does she do this? And like Sayla was doing everything. And I kept thinking like, well, she's supposed to be behind. And, and part of me knew that even though she was meeting those milestones, now eventually it would show up you know but it didn't for the for the longest time like she walked at 18 months was walking independently and remember I had read that it would be four to five years so I was like what is going on like she's crawling she's walking she's turning over she's sitting up like she was mimicking sound she was doing everything that the boys had done which was just amazing. My doctor would always say, wow, like I told you, we don't know what she's going to do. She's her own person. Like, don't read those things. They will do whatever they do in their time. Let's see. So I think about maybe her second or third birthday is when it started like kind of slowing down with her meeting the typical milestones. And those appointments like kind of got sad. Like you could kind of see like 
the distance starting at first it was like yes yeah, she's gonna do everything it's like my my I went from like devastated she's not gonna do anything to like well she's doing everything everybody else does that's fine she's always gonna be typical to being like oh my goodness we're falling behind what do I do but we were with sooner start we're doing everything we could do you know and my doctor just kept saying she is going to do all the things when she's ready to do all the things like let her let her be her stop reading what these even though they hand you at the doctor's appointment which i wish they would stop but they hand you those like is your child doing this 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 and this and they don't have like a a delayed i guess portion or option uh for that they just have only like for typically developing children so it's kind of hard to to see that what a great opportunity you had to have such a wonderful pediatrician who was able to encourage you and be an active um, participant in that care, which is wonderful. And then you had an additional friend who was able to sit with you through all of those things. I mean, not all, everyone has that. And it just, it fascinates me that, that people have those relationships and there are people out there who want to be that kind of support. So first of all, that is absolutely amazing. And I'm so impressed by both the pediatrician and the friend who was able to do that. You mentioned it kind of that first year and you were kind of in a, in a state of maybe a depression and you, of course you're in postpartum. So, I mean, you, right. we often, I know you and I work with families who have NICU experiences. And so we often tell families, you have a reason to be sad. You have a reason and it's okay to embrace that piece. I'm wondering if maybe you could share a little bit about how you recognize that in yourself um, and maybe what kind of sparked uh, what you did to kind of seek that extra support so yeah after um we got home I just remember I felt like I cried all the time so my personality I'm not a crier so that's why that is very significant to me like I don't know my husband's always like what is going on like you're people cry and have like emotions and I'm like okay I'm a realist I'm like life like sucks at times and it's gonna be hard and like get over it but when I say like from that moment when I was like screaming, crying in the doctor's office, every time I opened my eyes, I was crying. Like I couldn't stop. And there was a, a moment where I think my husband had left to take the kids to school, the, older, the boys to school. And he had come back and he was like, why are you sitting in the dark? I had all the curtains closed. I had the lights off. I was like under a blanket. Sailor was there and he's like, what is going on? Like, get, you need to like get up. But I couldn't, it's like, I even couldn't hold her. And I remember thinking like, I am so mad that I'm in this situation. I didn't know. And I remember feeling mad at Sailor. Like I would just be like, why, why did this happen? Why, like I have kids, like my boys were both, excelling and all the things that they did they were always ahead and I'm like how am I going to be a mom of a special needs kid like what did I do to like deserve this like you I really felt like maybe I was being punished for something in my life like I couldn't figure it out I'm like I did everything right I'm, I work out every single day I eat right I made sure to have kids before I hit 35 nobody in my family has any genetic conditions like I was just so angry but then knew that like, I, I, she's here, so I have to be her mom. But like, I couldn't deal with it. I also couldn't tell anybody. So like, I didn't, I, I didn't want anybody really to come see me, even though some people did. And I, I wrote a, I wrote something about that in my Facebook, a Facebook post. But, you know, there were so many people that would just show up and they would hold her and they'd be like, oh, she's so beautiful. And they would speak all of this, like, amazing things over her and I would be like I'm so glad that somebody spoke that to her because I couldn't like I honestly everything that came to my mind was of anger and rage at a baby like looking back now I still sometimes cuddle her and I tell her like I am so sorry I was so scared of you and I was so mad at you and like I just didn't understand like I was reading things that were saying she was supposed to like ruined my life. But there was one day that I was in the midst of like a crying fit. And my friend had bought me this picture and it had a saying, like a quote in the Bible that had said, I know the plans I have for you. 
to prosper, not to harm you, um, and to give you a hope and a future. And I remember reading that, and I was like, how? Like, how do you get, like, how can you say that, and then you give me a child like this, and, like, you're going to make my whole world stop. Like, she's going to live with me forever. Like, how is that prospering me? How is that helping me? How is that? But I felt like in that moment, too, I had a choice. Like, either I was going to cry every single day for the rest of my life, or I was just going to get up and do what my doctor said and like love her and give her a kiss. And and that very day, my son, my oldest one, Zion came home and he's holding her. Cause you know, I didn't tell the boys either because I'm like, they're four and or five and three or something like they didn't know. And, um, I remember Zion holding Selah and he said, mom, aren't you so glad that God gave us this baby? Like, look at her. She's so precious. Like everyone around me could see like her beauty and her worth, except for me. And I couldn't figure out why. So I kind of had to just tell myself every single day, like you have two choices. You're going to sit here and cry and she's still going to be here. And you're, you know, you're still going to be depressed or you're going to get up and you're going to try to like, do better and try to go a little bit without crying. And, you know, I'm working full-time at this time too. Like I only took off, I think like two or three months and I have this um, coworker and I would always, I don't know, again, just talk to her about Selah and how upset I was and how stressed out I was. And she would say, you know, I don't see anything wrong with Selah, but something's wrong with you. So maybe you need to fix yourself and maybe you need, because she's doing great. And it was in that moment that I was like, it is me. Like, I'm projecting all of this stuff. Like, I'm mad at her because I think she won't do A, B, and C. She doesn't know what I think that she should do or what she's supposed to do. Like, she just wants to eat and be loved on and like talk to and I'm over here like thinking about when she's 18 and 25 you know like I'm going all the way down to the end of like I don't know my 50s or 60s and I don't know anything and so she was she just kept encouraging me to work on myself to go find someone I can talk to um about Sayla or about my emotions and start journaling start doing something something that was more productive than just crying. And I think that's kind of the first steps. I mean, I would have, of course, my sweet friend who went to all my appointments with me at the beginning, but she would also like sometime just come over just to sit. Or I had a friend come over to just like clean my house because it was hard for me. And I would just also tell myself, take her in the stroller and just like walk outside. It's like, I don't know. I didn't want it's almost like, too, it's a weird feeling that I know that she has Down syndrome, but I wanted to protect her from everyone. And I felt like if I took her out and people saw her and people touched her, like something was going to happen. I don't know. Like, I didn't want anyone. Like, I would wrap her up all over me, like baby wear her, but like cover her because I like didn't want anybody to have an opinion or to say like, oh, we think she's so cute. Or maybe to be like, oh, you know, like the looks. Because I think at this point, I realized that the only reason you know somebody has Down syndrome is by their features. And so I didn't want anybody to look at her. Does that make sense? Isn't that weird? It's like, I didn't want anybody to look at her because then they were going to change her or they were going to label her or they were going to make her something else. It, it sounds crazy when I say it out loud, but there was something super protective about people seeing her like yeah. I couldn't do it and so I tried slowly but surely sometimes I would just go places completely like I never had a panic attack before but I had them with her to the point that I will say I thought I was having a heart attack one day <laughs> and I'm like wow heart is hurt like I'm so upset and my friend's husband is a paramedic and he's like hey you I'm just going to tell you, like, you can't have a heart attack every day for two weeks and still be here. So I'm thinking you're having, like, like an anxiety attack. And I'm like, no, I am literally, like, you don't know. So, like, I go to the heart hospital, and they're hooking me up. Again, another friend, because Thomas is like, well, I have to stay with the boy. Bless his heart. My poor Thomas. He was very, like, she's going to be fine, not worried. And I'm, like, freaking out. So I go to the heart hospital. 
and they hook me all up and they're like, hey, good news, your heart's great. And I'm like, no, it's not. And like, I'm arguing with the doctors and I'm like, look at all this. And he's like, this is a panic or anxiety attack. Like, are you, why, why are you stressed out? Is there stress going in your life? And I'm thinking, yeah, there's a lot, <laughs> a lot of things, you know, but he doesn't know. He's just like looking at me, like, why are you here? And it was like that moment that I was like, my goodness, like I'm, I'm literally in the heart hospital because I'm so stressed out and I don't like for no reason. And nothing's even been wrong with her up until this point, you know? It all makes perfect sense. And I can see how it's almost you working through that grieving process of what you thought things were supposed to be. And now they're not. Right. And, um, and so, yeah. So you mentioned, or you also mentioned earlier about, it really wasn't until about two years old that things milestone wise um, were different. What did you start to notice at about that two-year mark that was different? Mostly, I think it was verbally. Um, she was making sounds, but I started noticing that other two-year-olds were starting to put like a couple of words together. Um, maybe like no or mom, like she couldn't really say any, anything. And Ezra, who was my middle child, was talking almost in complete sentences like by 19 months it was crazy he was literally talking and so then I kept like trying to have her make sounds and she wouldn't and so then I was like oh no like she can't talk but we were in um you know having sooner start involved in like the speech therapist was like oh she's doing everything great like words will come it's just like this is the pre but it was taking so long and so I remember like that being it, she was able, her physical checklist, I guess you can say at the doctor, she was meeting everything. She can walk, she can run, she was kicking a ball. Um, she was eating, she was able to self-feed, she was drinking from a cup, but it was mostly verbal. Um, but then also sometimes like she, it was like her attention, like she kind of would look at you and then kind of drift off. However, my doctor picked up on that and she was like, hey, or not my doctor, my Sooner Start worker picked up on that. And she said, hey, maybe ask your doctor um, to check her ears and see if her ears are okay. She's never had an ear infection. And so we did that. And sure enough, there was so much fluid in her ears. And so my doctor was like, we're going to send you to an ENT, another doctor. Um, and so we went in and like, they were like, oh, we have to get tubes in her ears. But then um, they also wanted to do a sleep study. And I guess she wasn't sleeping well. Um, she had to take her adenoids out. They were, they were saying she was like pausing when we did our sleep study, like 80 times an hour. Like it was crazy. Like I exactly, like they were like, oh my goodness. Like she has to have surgery like tomorrow. Like they literally scheduled it in like a week because she apparently wasn't sleeping. I never heard I mean, I could hear her breathing like heavier, but never like snoring or anything to be concerned with. So again, that adds to my mom guilt, right? Like, how do I have a special needs child? And I don't even know she can't breathe at night. Like she's just sitting there, like felt horrible. So we had surgery, took out her tonsils and adenoids, put tubes in her ears. And then wouldn't you know, she started talking, like started happening after that. So it was like, oh, I don't know, just those little things. And again, my my kid, my boys never had any of that. So I didn't even know to be aware of that. So that's kind of when, and, and I will say even to this day, like she is behind. I will say she's five, she's about to be six and she's talking, but I would say it was about like a three or four-year-old. Like she'll say, you know, Ezra do that hurt my arm, but not in a, like, not like a five-year-old would be like, oh, I got hurt yesterday at the playground. Like, she can't do that, but she can get to it. Like, you just got to give her a minute and she can tell you who did it, what happened, but you can see her brain, like, really working um, to put those sentences together. So speech has always been the hardest thing, I think, for us. So does she actually see, like, go to a speech therapist now? Do y'all go to therapy for those kind of things? Or is it just kind of school-related items that are kind of the interventions that y'all do? Right now, it's school. Um, 
I, I kind of feel like I was talking to my husband. I'm like, should we put her in um, private speech? I go to hey, like no ju- no judgment, no judgment for no, me. But I, I'm just- <laughs> but I've been thinking about that because you know the only thing is for me is her speech, right? And then every time I go and talk to people, they're like, actually, she's doing great. She can say all of her sounds. She's doing, you know. So I'm like, am I always am playing that game? Like, okay, am I judging her against my boys? because that's all I've known. But then when I look at what is expected maybe, or what statistically they say a child with Down syndrome is doing, she's like five miles ahead of, you know what I mean? Like my doctor would always say like, there's like, you know, moderate or slight delays or like none. And so she's like, Sayla is so far advanced in like what she is doing um, that to them and their radar, she's fine. But my radar is still like, well, why aren't you just saying Ezra hurt me? Like Ezra kicked me in my leg. Why are you still saying hurt me? You know, I don't understand the process, but they keep reassuring me that like everything is, is fine. But my husband and I, like, we've been having that conversation, like, should we, or should we just let her be? Like, I don't know. Cause she's in kindergarten and I'm like, I don't know, but yeah, but right now we're not doing anything extra. We've never um, had to really, like she didn't even qualify for extra um, speech therapy when she was with Center Start. Like they were like, nope, she doesn't need it. And right now her therapist um, at school is like, she's doing great. That's fantastic news. So, uh, well, so Sooner Start usually transitions to like the three-year-old preschool programs within the school. Did y'all, did y'all qualify for that piece of it? We did, and we loved it. We were um, in Penham City School District, but they did. They did that little transfer. They came with me. Um, my worker came with me, who I love dearly, um, to that little meeting. And so we started a three-year-old program, which I think was great um, and much needed. And then we went to pre-K. Um, and then she moved to a different school this year for kindergarten. And right now they're even letting her, like she starts her mornings off in a typical developing class and then comes back to her self-contained, which I think is, is great for her. Oh, I love it. I love hearing those wonderful outcomes and those great stories because that's what Sooner Start is supposed to be for all of us. Um, And I don't, you know, I kind of feel like they're that, that best kept secret out there. You know, it's, it's one of those resources that I think families think of as a, oh, I, you know, maybe I shouldn't participate in that. Right. And then it's like, also they start so young. And I remember thinking, what what are you going to do with this six week old? Like, why am I having you in my house and she can't do anything? And she would come over and just like, I don't know. It would, But then again, that was in my bad moment. And so I was even remembering like my therapist would come and I'd be like, oh, like just looking at her. Like I was so mad she was there too, but yet I called her and told her to come. You know, it was that weird <laughs> thing. And then I'm like, should you just come back when she's older? And she's like, no, like we just, there are things we look for. And so I'm really am thankful that we did it when she was that little all the way until three. Like, honestly, it was great. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about um, maybe some of those mama fears that you've had um, for Sayla at, up to this point? Um whether that be peer rejection or in, or developmental concerns, uh, maybe she can't do some of the things that your your boys are able to do, and some of those dreams. So maybe just share a little bit about some of those, I guess, kind of those mama fears. Um, I will say when I before I even talk about the mama fears, I will say a lot of them early on were like fears for myself, selfishly. I realized I learned a lot in this process. Like I don't like to be pitied. I don't like attention. I don't want people feeling sorry for me. And that was part of the trauma is that I knew once everyone knew, people are going to start talking to me and they're going to start patting me on the back. And I want none of that. Like, I am like, leave me alone. If you didn't talk to me before, do not send me flowers tomorrow. Like, you know, like that kind of a person, like that is my, my attitude. And so when sometimes people would try to be nice and I'm like, don't do it do not talk to me. Like I, I just couldn't handle it. And then I was like, everyone's going to mark me as that person. They're going to be like, Oh, she's so great. She has a kid with special needs. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm a hot mess. Like I was two kids ago. I'm still myself. And I was worried about my identity as selfish as that is. Like I was so worried about now, who am I? Can I still be myself? Or do people expect me to be like 
this awesome parent or or something when I'm not like I'm like I didn't help my boys to talk like how am I supposed to do this and that like I had no idea that Zion was reading and his kindergarten teacher was like oh we send him to first grade for reading I'm like what he can, he's reading books like I didn't know so you know what I mean like I just had all these fears and then when I got over myself which took me a while then it switched to like is she gonna have friends wait who's gonna come to her birthday party what's gonna I also went to, I will say this, I went to a meeting or a group or something with um, moms and their um, children had Down syndrome. And I remember looking around and it kind of, like she was doing uh, like a little bit more advanced than some of them. And then some of them had like longer term problems. And it was hard for me because she was a baby and I just couldn't see that. Like, I was like, oh no, like, Will this happen? Will that happen? Will that? And I got so again anxious about it that I had to like stop going to those groups. But then I thought, who's going to be her friend? Like, who else will understand her? But then there was one day um, that we were at a soccer practice for Ezra, I think. And Sayla, of course, always every time she saw a kid, she wants to run over to the kids and play with them. And I usually tell her no because I, it's that look like. Sometimes kids look at her and they're like, oh, okay, she's a baby, blah, blah, blah. And then sometimes they look at her like when she's trying to talk to them, like, what are you trying to say? You know, they just give like that annoyed or like maybe scared look or confused look. And so I tried to just avoid that by not letting her go over there. And so this day, like she kept wanting to go over there. And I just finally sat there and I was like, okay, just let her go. This was part of my like trying to be out in the world and she ran over there and I see her like fling her arms open to like ask for a hug from these group of girls and I'm like oh my gosh and then I look over and they all hug her back like every girl just started hugging her and they're all like her age so I am crying like looking like a crazy because no parents know what's going on they're like whatever these kids are playing together and I'm like they hugged her like she went out to them and they hugged her back and she was saying look doggy and they're like yeah a dog yeah and I know that like I don't know there was something so innocent and they weren't bothered by her and they weren't afraid of her and they kept telling her come play with us and she'd just run over there and I was like, okay, like, maybe she can have friends. Like, maybe somebody will, like, try to understand her. Um, that's always my fear, like, how she will will be. Now she's a little, she has more words, but she has brothers, and she loves, like, kind of wrestle, and she kind of comes up to people, and she's like, hey, what's up? what's up, bro? That's her new thing. And I'm like, don't say that. So she's a little bit more aggressive. So now I'm like, okay, she doesn't actually understand. Like you shouldn't say that to everybody. Like her social cues are a little <laughs> off. Um, not everybody wants to be tackled into the ground. And um, so we're trying to work on that. But I think my biggest fear has been like how her peers will accept her. I, I figured out that grownups will at least, even if they're fake, be nice to her in front of her face and I can deal with that like whatever but like when I send her off to school like how is it when she goes into that typical developing class how how is she treated and this summer our neighbors that used they don't live there anymore but they were outside playing with my kids with Ceylon all of them and I look outside and there's this little boy that I don't know and it was our neighbor's um nephew and he runs up and he's like hi Sayla and he gives her a hug and she's like, hi. And they're playing. And I'm like, who is this kid? And he goes, oh, she comes to my class sometimes at school. And she was in, again, in a typical developing class, like at the beginning of the day and then after in the afternoon. And so he was in her class and like he saw her and like ran up and they both hugged each other. And I was like, okay, like maybe I'm just freaking out like people are gonna be mean and not everyone is gonna like her but then the ones that do will you know I think that's what I've learned a lot about this process of like my tribe and the people around me like want to be and if they're afraid of it and they don't want to be then they just won't and I haven't really like had that problem like all of my friends from before are still my friends maybe there's a few that I don't talk to as much but have been my friends and I just realized like 
the people in your life you'll just cherish because they want to be there. And like he knew Sayla and saw her somewhere completely different and still wanted to be her friend and still accepted her like hugs and told me like, I said, was she good in class? And he was like, yep, she listens. She sits in center time. And, you know, it just, it was really, really good. But I, I do, I wonder how it's going to be when she gets out of elementary school, now that we're getting older, what high school is going to be like. And I try, and then when I go there, I'm like, okay, she's five. Like, go back. Like, I don't know what it's going to be like from my my kid who's going there next year. He's about to be 14 and he'll be a freshman. Like, I don't know what high school is going to be like for him either. So I have to keep reminding, like, I don't know anybody's future, whether it's Sayla's or Ezra or Zion. And like, we just take it one day at a time and we'll figure it out. <laughs> So true. Even even for our typically developing children, we are concerned about peer rejection. We are concerned about what, you know, their involvement and how they're perceived on different things. And so um, I think that's such a great point that, you know, we can worry about, you know, our children with special healthcare needs or special needs in the future. And yet here we are still worried about our typically developing children as they enter high school and all of that. Exactly. That's a, that's a great point. You mentioned there was something you said that she's going to live with me forever. Yeah. And I know that we've kind of talked about trying not to live in the future and trying not to, you know, think about all of that when we're in their fifties and sixties. But I'm wondering if those are, those are concerns, real concerns at this point. Um, and are you, are you planning for that future with her living with you? Or what do you see for her future as far as some of the hopes and dreams for her? Yeah, sometimes I think about that and then I'm like, oh, that's like, she can live with us. We love her. Like, what would we do when we have no kids? Like, I don't know. Um, but, and I had, I think I had mentioned that to my doctor once and she's like, she's probably not going to want to live with you. Like, she's going to be okay. Like, she's probably going to have her own. And my best friend says this all the time. I should mention my best friend is um, a special education teacher and has always worked with kids with special needs. And she would joke with me all the time and just be like, you know, that extra chromosome is just stubborn. That's it. But they can do all the things. And so she would always say, Sayla doesn't want to live with you. Like, she's going to be out on her own. I know there are a lot. Um, I, I've worked in um, at DHS for a long time just as a social worker. And so there are some different programs like DDSD and um, things like that that I've heard of. And I know that they do have housing um, sometimes for adults with that have different um, special needs. And so I think about that, like, oh, like, would I be okay with letting her live, you know, with somebody else? Um, my boys always say that they're going to live with them. Like they literally fight over that. Zion's like, well, I'm probably going to be a doctor and have more money. And so like, she can just live with me and my wife. And then Ezra's like, but she likes me more. So she'll live with me. So we all have this, like, who is she going to be with? Um, and then my friend's like, none of you. So I think it's in my mind, like in my, in my dream now, I'm like, okay, so we have her, like, we find the house with a little like apartment attached to the back and she stays there. But I don't know. But now, like, the older she gets and I see that she does stuff for herself. Like, the other day, she was hungry and, like, made her a bowl of cereal. Like, she had poured the cereal in the milk and was didn't spill it and was, like, actually eating, like, <laughs> by herself, which was scary because we're, like, now she can, like, open up everything. and climb. She climbed the counter, like, put a chair up, got on the counter, got the cereal. I was, like, oh, man. So... I'm like, I don't know who she's going to be. Maybe she will be able to do, like, live on her own or have a little apartment. I don't know. So future now is wide open to me, I think. It sounds like she's got lots of problem-solving skills and independence. A little too much. A little too much for my liking right now. Uh, that is that is just so fantastic. That is so fun. And again, wise words from a friend and a physician and all of that. Um I know that faith plays a big role in who you are and your family. How, do y'all have a church that's um, super welcoming of Sayla at this point? And, you know, because I know that there's, that's one of the big concerns for families who have children with special needs is where do we get to go to church? So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yes, absolutely. Um, yes, currently right now we are 
attending um, Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene, and they have really made us feel very, very welcome. That I, I will agree when you start thinking about church homes and if you go to a church and you have a child with special needs, like, can I take them to the nursery? Can I leave them? It's very scary um, when that happens. And, and the fact that like a lot of times the nursery workers maybe rotate, there's a lot of volunteers. So like who really knows that like Sayla will open the door and just make her way around the church if she wants to, like who understands that? Or even like, if she can't say she has to go to the bathroom, like, do you know, like, if she needs to go? It's those kind of things. Like, it's very scary. And I heard a lot of people just don't um, usually attend because of that. But um, at our church, I love that they have, like, the name tags, but they also have something on there that says anything we need to know, you know? And I put, I usually put, um, has Down syndrome and um, struggles sometimes to communicate. And they've been really great with her. Like they've always made sure that there's someone that is there regularly that she knows. They have not really like a, a cry room, but like a break room where they can take, like if she's getting like overstimulated or something, she can go in there and it's quiet and she can play with baby dolls. And there's someone there that's just like calming to her. And it really makes me feel good. Like I'm not worried. Like I know that they can come and text me anytime that they need me, but they don't. They just have figured it out. And there was one time that, like, she had gone to vacation Bible school, and, you know, Sunday mornings, they let all the kids sing up on the stage, and I was like, I'm not sending her up there. Like, she's going to act a mess, like, tackle somebody. Something's going to happen. And so um, I was walking to my seat, and her teacher saw her and was like, oh, come on, Sayla, and just, like, took her to the stage, and I'm standing there, like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Is she going to freak out? And she did great. And she stood up there and she sang. And then the teacher just picked her up and took her to her room. Like, it was just like any other child. Like, nobody knew. I didn't have to explain her. I think that's always hard um, when you're like, okay, I'm meeting someone new. I need to tell you every single thing about her. Like, I just didn't have to do that um, there here and so um we feel really comfortable and safe and everyone knows her name and i love it from a parent perspective kind of what is down syndrome um i know neither of us are medical experts in this area um but from a parent perspective kind of give us a little bit of background on what down syndrome is and then maybe go ahead and talk about how you're, you celebrate uh, world down syndrome day from my perspective um i think most of Down syndrome, um, at first glance, maybe is just the appearance because I'm learning the more that I parented her that she's like my other kids, you know, like she loves things. She has her favorite shows. She sings songs. She does all of that. And I know that there is a delay um, developmentally. Ours and everyone's is different. Like I, it's just amazing that you can be in a room full of children that are maybe the same age with Down syndrome, and maybe one is not able to walk right now, but has great speech, and then one can run and jump and do all that. You know, it's just that little um, um, developmental difference. But honestly, like the longer I've parented her and I got to know her. Um, I'm like, it's only a feature from a parent's perspective. Like I remember one of another friend of mine, I have some really good friends, I'm telling you. Um, she had said, you guys just don't know each other yet. That's why you feel like this. Like you just don't know her. And I was like, oh, and there's this song by like one of my favorite artists, India Ari. And she had talked about, she wrote this song and, she, and it says like, I am not my hair. I am not my skin. I am the soul that lives within. And like that, I was listening to it one day when I had Selah and I was like, yes, you know, I'm thinking when I think of Down syndrome, it's all the outer stuff. Maybe their tongue is a little larger. Maybe their eyes are a little bit more almond. Maybe they can't, all of these like superficial things, but like their soul. And again, being like going to my faith, like I always say, like when we leave here and we don't take our bodies with us, right? We don't go, like it's just, as our souls going to heaven. I hope I know her. Like I should recognize her by who she is and not all of that outer stuff. And I think the longer that I parented her, even though I'm only five years in, I'm realizing like 
there's not much difference. She loves pizza. She loves Sprite. She loves like having a good time with her friends and parties and balloons and singing happy birthday and Christmas. Like she, it's all of the typical things. And so for me, like I've really focused on that and just always reminded myself, like she is who she is within. And if I can get past that, which it didn't take long, you know, honestly, I thought it was going to be forever. I don't even recognize, you know, I don't even see it anymore. It's just Sayla walks in the room. Like I can't, I, you know, I, it's just, you know, your, your child. And so I think on world down syndrome day, I think how we're celebrating is trying to just show like the joy and how it's not as scary. I was terrified of a baby, which I'm like, how? Like of this little, of a human, of a life, like how was I so scared? And like, she gives us the best hugs ever. And every morning she's like, good morning, I'm here. Like literally says that. And like, we all have our like cuddle time. Like we want the first hug. We want, you know, everything from her. Like we can't imagine our life without her. And I would, I tell her now, like all the time, you know what, if I didn't give birth to you and you were able to be adopted, I would choose you every time. Like, I want you, the whole you, everything that comes with Sayla. Like, I want all of that. And I didn't know that. And even with her name, like, I love her name because, like, even um, in the Bible and it talks, there's, like, all this Sayla. And then it, a lot of times it means to stop and pause and reflect. And that's exactly what it did. It showed me that, like, one, my parenting was really about me and my kids. Like, I was like, oh, I'm so glad that my kids make me look like a good mom. You know what I mean? I don't know. But when it came out to like, how am I going to parent this kid? What are people going to think of me? It helped me to like refocus that I'm worried about me <laughs> and my image and thinking that a little baby or a child that has um, an extra chromosome was going to like ruin our lives. And that's not it. It was, it, it's actually just been the best thing ever. I think from a parent of a child with Down syndrome, like down syndrome is just a lot of joy and a lot of like all the little things that you're like, you're not supposed to be able to do that. And you did it. And you're like, yeah. Or you just know how hard it is. Like when she's putting sentences together, like she is working to do that. When she was a baby and like standing up and walking at 18 months, like that was a lot of work where it's just like a normal. I remember she couldn't, um, when she was a baby, you'd put your finger in the middle of her palm and they're supposed to like squeeze it and she couldn't do that. And I didn't realize like that's a developmental thing. Like we take those things for granted. Like my boys always hung on to everything. And I didn't know that was a big deal or that like it took that much for her to just like grab my finger. And the first time she did it, I was like, what? You know, it just makes you like appreciate all those little moments that like I did not even blink an eye at with my boys, you know, that kind of thing. And you've talked about your boys. You've talked about them so much. Um, even through this interview, I'm wondering how do they respond to her? Uh, do they, obviously she is their, their sister. She's a sibling. She's part of their family. Um, do they kind of take up for her? Do they have to take up for her? I mean, is there, and was there any point where they kind of had a moment of realization of their own maybe just share a little bit about their perspective on this yeah yeah I did worry about the boys a lot um which is why I think I didn't say anything to them for a long time I just wanted them to build their own relationship with her instead of me telling them so like I don't think Zion even heard me mention Down syndrome until she was maybe six to eight months like I just didn't say it I was like nope she's just whoever she is like she they don't know but Zion, I will say, is maybe a little bit more curious and protective. He is like, he'll, he will come home and say, you know, I looked up article. I hate that they have iPads at school, but this is what they have. So he's like, I looked up something with Down syndrome. And he's like, you know, Stella doesn't really have the features that um, a lot of them have. And, you know, sometimes like this article will say that she's not supposed to do this or this, but she's already potty trained and she potty trained at three. And I think she's going to be fine. Like, I don't think we should worry about her. And I was like, you know, Zion, I think you're right. You know, he's a little bit more of my realist, but studious kid. And so like even recently in science are doing something with chromosomes. And so he said, do you think she has mosaic Down syndrome or just Down syndrome? I'm like what? 
Like, I'm like, what is mosaic? And he's like, well, it's just I, when you look it up, like they tend to have like less features and Salem doesn't have a lot of features. And so I'm thinking, you know, and I'm like, okay, Zion. Ezra, no, he doesn't care. He's like, let's go play Selah. And he's like running around with her. He's always, like, they are best friends. Like, even he'll say, what is Down syndrome? Why are y'all talking about Down syndrome? And I'm like, Selah has something. He's like, okay. Like, he doesn't care. He will parade her anywhere. Like, they wake up in the morning and they are together. I just love it. Like, their bond is so different. Where Zion's more like, he's a little... He, he treats her fine, like Zion's just cautious in general, but he treats her really good, but he's also like, you can tell always like, huh, look, she made that milestone. She's not supposed to do that. She did that. Great job. Um, and super protective. Like he watches other people around her. And if he thinks someone is like giving her the eye, he's quick to be like, come over here, say, let's, let's do this. But um, Ezra's like, let's jump off the roof together. Like, he's just that kind of a kid. And they, and she loves him. Like, she's always like, where are you, Ezra? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? So those two are like very mischievous um, and run around. But it is, I was really worried. I will say more than anything that like, maybe I was going to ruin my boys. Like, how will it be for them to have a younger sister um, that has a special need in front of their friends? And, you know, so far it's, been fine they are like very far apart in age so like none of them will actually be like at school together at the same time I think um which is I think it's good because I didn't want her to ever overshadow him but then Zion told me like one day he was at school talking with a friend and he had mentioned that his sister had down syndrome and then the boy was like so does my brother and he's like yeah so we were just talking about it and so, like, he brought it up, you know? So I thought, okay, well, you know, that's good. Like, he's not he's not afraid. So I think I think of all the things, like, like again, he keeps saying he's going to be a doctor and she's going to live with him because he's older and he's more protective and he'll take care of him. He doesn't trust Ezra. But, <laughs> but um, they've all been okay. So I will say that as, like, to anybody who does have um, older siblings and then a younger one, like, they they can be okay. It's, it's the way, I think it's the way we treated her. We never, I, when I cried, I made sure that it was literally, um, at the beginning when they were at school, because I didn't want it, like I said, like change their perspectives. And then as they, as she got older, we just celebrated all the things like, Hey, look, she wasn't supposed to do that. And can you believe she can do that? And so they would just cheer her on. And it was just like, we became her cheerleaders and they became like her number one, um, supporter and all the things. So I feel like, and my husband being just as calm as he is and like centered, like he never freaks out. Thank goodness. Cause can you imagine if there was two of us acting like that? But I think having him like also help them because he's always like, Hey, she's fine. There's nothing wrong with her. She's perfect. Like, let's just keep moving. And so they've been, they've been pretty good. The, this has been so fun to interview you, to hear about your family. Every piece of this has just been such a delight. If I said anything, it's, it's okay if you feel angry. I will go like back to even like feeling guilty that I wasn't like, oh, I have a baby. You know, I feel like some people are like, you know, well, at least you have a kid. At least you have this. You know, like, at least your baby didn't have this and that. And I still felt all those things. And I just feel like it is completely normal and okay to be angry and to be sad. And I think we have to go through all of it. I think you just, the longer you try not to deal with it, eventually you will. Like I broke out in hives all over my body. I ended up at the heart hospital, all trying to like not deal with this, this fact. And so um, when I meet, meet new moms, I've had a couple of um, people that are now dear friends that um, some of my friends have been like, here's a number to someone call her. I've always just told them like, it's okay. All of your thoughts, they're so, it's not pretty. Like I think everyone and society thinks you should just be grateful. And there were times that I was just like, why did this even happen? You know, like, why, why are we all here? How did this happen? And I felt that. And I'm glad that I did because then it brought me all the way over here. Like I had to deal with a lot of things internally and mentally 
um, and get it out and be honest with myself to why I felt that way. So then I could start like the healing process because it literally is like, I was having my first girl. I've been wanting to have a girl and I had to let go of all the things that I thought having a girl was going to be like and what we were going to do. And so it was heartbreaking. And I finally got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm allowed to be sad. I didn't know beforehand. You know, I sometimes I wonder like, what if, should I have taken the blood test and just known before so I could mentally deal with that? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, obviously it was, I wasn't supposed to know for some reason, like, you know, cause I, I mean, I went to the best genetic counselor, even he didn't see it at the beginning. He just said there wasn't, you know, a possibility. So it wasn't meant to be, but I think that once you get there, I think it's okay to feel however you feel like, honestly, and just get it out there. And I was like, I'm glad I did it while she was younger and not while she was older, you know? And I had all the people who could say the things to her that I couldn't say, like, tell her she was beautiful and wonderful. And like all the things that like I wanted to say, but like literally could not get the words out. And so, um, I say, do that, feel whatever you feel, cry it out. (laughs) Even if it's like six months like me, and then joy is on the other side of that that's what I found, like, joy and coming up with it, like, I prayed for joy that was unspeakable, and, like, literally, I think of all the things, like, how am I so happy to have a child that has a special need, when I thought at the beginning that was absolutely the end of my life, you know, and now I'm, like, I would choose you, you know, like, I want this every day of the week, so. So truly you walked through some of those painful moments, some of the fire, some of that. And you're like, I'm going to just own this. I'm yeah. going to just walk through it. I'm going to experience yeah. this um, and then come out joyful on the other side, uh, but really feeling all the feels, as we say, you have the right to be sad, work yeah. through that um, so that you can come out stronger on the other side. I'm glad for often and like um, just the connections that you guys do to give parents, like maybe they don't have that person to talk to. And that's what's great because they can talk to us and we get that and we feel all of those emotions. And sometimes you just need to be around people who understand for a moment, you know? And that's a great point. Yeah. Sometimes it's easier to talk to a stranger who's been there than Uh it is maybe to your neighbor that you know really well who hasn't been. They Um, don't understand they're like, how could you say that about a baby? You know, like, I think I got a lot of that from people at the beginning. And I was like, because I feel like this, like, I'm sad. But like, when you talk to someone who has gone through it, they're like, oh yeah. And there was an, there was an, um, a lady at my church, I forgot to mention this, who, um, her daughter is, I think she's in her forties now with Down syndrome. And at the beginning, she would invite me over to her house and I would just sit there and cry and she would hold Sayla and she'd be like, I remember all of those feelings. And I remember all like she just validated me. And for Sayla's first Christmas, she got her a little ornament with the shoe on it that had her name and her birthday on it. Because, you know, I still was just in that, I don't know, I just still couldn't do that. And I think like, it was so important. I had never met her before, but someone was like, oh, you need to know her. Like her daughter goes here and And like, I would just sit at her house and like cry and cry and cry. And I'm like, man, did I need her? Like a complete stranger, but she got me, like she understood. So that's so important. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.